following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, well, I would uh, just want to uh, thank everyone that participated in the service uh, yesterday. Um, and there's uh, so many hands uh, went in to put on uh, such a wonderful um, tribute to a wonderful lady. Um, and uh, I was uh, um, pleasantly surprised uh, with some of our um, uh, several elements, our master puppeteer, Mike, did such a wonderful job. Uh, sharing letters and, uh, that was, that was really great and, and Mark lead us in, uh, uh, 10,000 reasons. Just, uh, uh, lots of hidden gems and uh, just really blessed by that. I was thankful to my twin brother for being here, um, dressing up. I slept in, so he took over. Um, anyway, just, uh, yeah. Yeah, two of me, bad news, right? So. Well, well, we are returning in our work to Second Timothy chapter two this morning. That's page nine nine five in the pew Bibles. Um, but before we get to Timothy, while you're turning there, I want to begin with the words of Jesus from John chapter ten, verse eleven through fifteen. Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Let's pray. Mm, Father God, we are so grateful that we are the sheep of your pasture, and you are our good shepherd, that you know your own, and we who are your own know you. We are so grateful that you laid your life down for us, Now, Lord, as we uh, turn to your word, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would lay down our lives and pick up the life that you have given to us. Lord, as a good shepherd, we pray that you would lead us and that we would faithfully follow you, follow your instructions here in your word this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This, um, I've said this a couple of times this morning. I'm just going to warn you. Um, you remember the Sunday after we did a Christmas, uh, what was that called? Live Nativity. We're all a little tired and punchy. I'm just warning you. I'm exhausted. So <laughs> this, um, this could be a lot of fun or not make any sense at all. So. Either way, it could be fun, right? Yeah. So let's get back to 2 Timothy 2. Start at verse 11. 
The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. May God's blessing be on his word. It's so important for us, when we look at God's word, when we think about God's word, to remember the context the context of every verse, to remember the original recipients of the text and the circumstances surrounding the original author and their intent in writing, what they were hoping to accomplish. And that is not secret wisdom locked away for the scholars. It is available to all of us. Um, there's, a, there's a thing called a Google and it can be very helpful. It can be very destructive, but also if you know what you're looking for, uh, all of this information is available. But for us, we must remember that the Holy Spirit is the original author of the Word. And He inspired the human authors and directed their thoughts and moved their pens so as to write exactly what he wanted to communicate to his church and to the world for ages to come. These words that we've read are almost 2,000 years old, and here they are preserved for us uh, just as they were originally written, uh, just translated into English. Hmm. Because we know that the Holy Spirit is the author because we know that that is true, we know that the text of the Bible in its original languages is inerrant. Do you know that word is inerrant? means without error. It is 100% true and accurate and reliable. And therefore, it is wholly dependable for us. Now, I don't know if that brings you any comfort or not. If you are feeling like, well, I've, I want to follow God's word. I want to follow the Bible. At least the true parts, the good parts. <laughs> this is shaky ground to be on. We can know that God's word is wholly dependable. And so we can entrust our lives to God's direction through it. Um, that's really important. I don't understand how people try to live what they call a Christian life. But it's not based on the truth of God's word that, you know, a lot of the Jesus parts, you know, the Paul, the, those other letters are kind of weird. I don't know. There's a lot going on. But I like Jesus. Jesus is cool, you know. 
This makes no sense to me, but people choose what they will. And sometimes within the church, not this church, but, you know, other ones, <laughs> controversy arises. <laughs> See, we don't have to worry about it. So this is just, you know, in general, speaking trivia here, right? Debates over doctrine arise. And the flames of division begin to damage the church, damage and separate the church family from one another and drawing seemingly uncrossable lines and boundaries. And that's very sad. This is the Apostle Paul's warning to Timothy, who at the time was entrusted with shepherding the church in Ephesus. And as we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, gave us a warning in his little poem in verse 11, when he writes, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul instructed Timothy to remind a church family of these things. That is the majority of the work of preaching. It's reminding. This is a work of reminding. I'm not necessarily telling you anything you don't already know, week in and week out. What my job here is to remind you of what you already know. Paul instructed Timothy to remind the church that through faith in Christ, we die to ourselves and are raised to new life, lived for him, for Christ. And that there are rewards for enduring hardships and persecutions, eternal rewards. But also the warning there that if we deny Jesus before mankind, he will deny us before his father. And he will keep his promise of salvation for the righteous and also his promise of destruction for the wicked. Now, these are big ticket items. But Paul was also aware of how the little things creep in. The little, little divisions that turn into major divisions. Little problems that turn into major problems. And how quarrels about words can be deadly to a church family. So when he writes in verse 14, charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. When he says this, he means business. This is no joke here. Paul had encouraged Timothy to endure in the face of persecution from outside the church, to endure suffering like a good soldier. But I can personally attest that persecution from, uh, persecution from without has an equally deadly ally, and that's polarization from within. There are forces outside of the church looking to destroy the church, destroy the work of the gospel, and erase Jesus and his church from history. And those forces have an ally. And sometimes those allies are within a church family looking to break it up, to split it up. Jesus said in the Gospels that a house divided against itself cannot stand. You've heard this before? 
well, he was talking about Satan and his kingdom, but the principle still holds true for the church. A church divided against itself cannot stand. A polarization within a church starts with what Ray Stedman called word battles. These quarrels over words. Word battles. That's literally what the quarrel word means. And to charge them before God to avoid these word battles shows just how important the topic was then and still is today. One of my early mentors, John Susi, is fond of saying, a text without context is a pretext. I got the first two words, text, I get this. Context, I get this. A pretext, what's that? This is why we have the Google, because you can ask you what pretext (laughs) means, right? A text without context is a pretext. That means that somebody can use a word or verse or phrase, take it out of its context, and use it to accomplish their aim and goal that doesn't have anything to do with what the author originally meant. Does that make sense? All right. So, not to do it? Yeah. Yes, this is not instructional here. I'm telling you what to avoid, right? When you say, Lord, what... Uh, what do you want me to know today? And you flip open his word and, and you put your finger down and say, this is the God's verse for me because I didn't have any control over where it opened. This is God at work, right? Poof, what shall I do today? Judas went out and hung himself. That's not for you, right? No, no, that's not it. That's not it. Boom. What you're about to do, do quickly. No, 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 no. Yeah, go and do thou likewise. That's not how it works, right? It's very, we have to be very careful. The text without a context is a pretext. You can try, you can take a little chunk out of there and make it say whatever you want. And you remove it from its context. It's just words. And this is what word battles are all about. Timothy was to guard against people using scripture in this way taking fragments and partial truths and build up camps within the church and divide her people. These are contentions over secondary doctrines that really have only to do with personal preferences and making individuals look and feel important. If you can find that little nugget in there and start to gain influence over people, oh, look at how wise and what a good leader They understand God's word. It says, go hang yourself like Judas. Right? Let's go do it. Right? This is how cults are formed. It's how churches are divided. The Greek word that is translated ruins the hearers there in uh, verse 14. The Greek word is catastrophe. I don't know why they translated it to English. A catastrophe is good. Word battle caused catastrophe. Because it's exactly what happens. It's to throw a rolling a grenade into the hen house. It's horrible. It's a very appropriate word. Catastrophe. Far too often churches have split. Church families have given up on each other. Individuals and families within the church have left because of disagreements over words or differences in opinion on doctrine or church practices. 
I personally have known people to leave church because of the way the pastor dresses or whether or not there were lit candles on a communion table. And this is what happens. These are word battles. It's dangerous stuff. Because what we have the tendency to do as people, as humans, is to sacrifice what is the most important on the altar of the unimportant or misunderstood. So, all right, we diagnose the problem. So what? Paul suggested some strategies for dealing with these word battles when, not if, but when they come up. And the first is in verse 15. The first is to demonstrate a proper handling of Scripture. Verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, we'd like to think this is to Timothy, this is to pastors, not to me, right? Get me off the hook. As long as a pastor do his job, rightly dividing the word of truth, and we keep showing up to that church, we good, right? Now, let me ask you, my friends, what happens when, let's say, me, let's say I start wandering off a little bit and not preach so much from the word, but just talk about some stories and my personal opinions and start talking about politics or whatever, and things start to get a little skewed and not following the Word of God so much anymore. I say, well, God's Word says somewhere in there that you have to right, own a small dog because it's, <laughs> it's the best, right? Not a big dog, small, right? Joel. Joel. <laughs> Craig, you know who I'm talking about here. How do you know whether or not what the pastors say is right? Oh, yes, that's very important. Exactly. Check by the word. If we don't care what the word say anymore, we're not church anymore. Or it might as well be Kiwanis, right? Rotary Club. Do a lot of nice things, hang out with a lot of nice people, feed some people, make sure kids have eyeglasses, books to read. So what? Those are all things fine. But if we don't care about what God's words say, we're wasting our time. We feel really good about ourselves as we're on our way to destruction. I don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. It's far too important that we handle God's word right. That we be diligent. Work hard to seek the approval of God, not of men. To be a worker who works in line with God's commands and plans for his church, not one who is ashamed of the cause or the master. God said how he wants church to be. God said he wants a church to act like a family, like a body. Work together. Stay close to the Lord. Stick to his word. And when we wander off, we're... We are acting as if we are ashamed, right? Well, the Bible says we're supposed, you know, the church, but that's old. It's so out course who would follow in Timothy's footsteps. But truly, this instruction is for us all. If we don't handle God's word properly ourselves, how will we know if the guy standing up front is doing it right? Just because he gets a 
Well, not a very fancy thing to stand behind just because he's the guy wearing the suit. The other guy wearing the suit. No, we need to know God's word and handle it ourselves properly. I once heard a story from Mark Hall. You know who Mark Hall is? the lead singer of Casting Crowns, the band. He's also a youth pastor, or I think he was. I don't know if he still is or not anymore. But he told a story about one of his students that had grown up through his youth program, gone off to college, and was challenged in class about some aspect of the faith. And the poor young man didn't know how to answer the challenge. So uh, afterwards, he called his youth pastor and asked him about this thing. He said, uh, what do I believe about that? <laughs> well, I don't know what you believe about that. I don't know. That's, um, I often get asked questions about what's your opinion on this matter or that matter. So my opinion on matters doesn't matter at all. Let's look at what God's word says. Because how I feel about things is irrelevant. If you're going to base your life or anybody going to base their life on how I feel, wow, (laughs) you need to raise your standards a little bit. This is a convicting story for me, the story about a youth pastor here. The young man didn't know the truth about a certain thing, but he didn't know what the Bible said about that certain thing what the real truth was about the subject. And that's because he did not know how to rightly handle the word of truth. He had not been taught. That's a problem. We all, like Timothy, need to rightly handle the word of truth. This is not just for those in leadership or in pulpits. It's for all of us. The words rightly handle are literally translated to cut straight. To cut straight God's word, or the, the word of truth. And the meaning of that phrase is a matter of some debate among the scholars. And that's fine. They like debating. But of all the explanations that I've read, the one that makes the most sense is the idea of cutting a straight path through the woods. To, to establish a new trail where there wasn't one before. To cut straight Scripture often uses the image of a straight path, like in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Yeah? Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the path that God is establishing through his word. And no matter what our we must appeal to the judgment of God. Our father, listen, our father is always right. Okay, this should make life easy for us. Lord, what should we do? He knows. What do you think about this? I told you already. God, our Father, is always right. We need to diligently seek after His opinion on matters. And His opinion is recorded in His Word. We don't need any extra special revelation. 
We don't have to pray and wait for a sign in the sky. He has given us what we need. Even if an issue is not dealt with in specifics, it is dealt with in principle in God's word. We just have to be diligent in finding it out. Now, here's another freebie for you here, not in in notes. We don't have to do that alone. We are not just left to ourselves, right? Because you are not the only one here. Look around. You have a question about something? Something does not make sense to you? We have a family. We can bounce these things off. No question is unsafe to ask, right? I'm wrestling with this idea. What do we do about this? What does God's word say about this? I have no idea, right? But you might, you might, you might ask around and talk about it. This is how we are supposed to work together as a body, right? The pinky does affect the earlobe. They are connected, okay? We work together in this way. All you pinkies and earlobes. <laughs> it's all right, I'm an eyelash, so whatever, you know. Hmm. The second strategy for dealing with these word battles, we must diligently handle God's word correctly. And the second strategy for dealing with word battles is only two-point sermon, sorry. Verses 16 and 17, I love these words. Actually, I don't. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Avoid irreverent babble. I feel like sometimes that's the majority of what I say in my life. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. The strategy here is to not join in the clamor. By getting involved halfway through an argument, right? You ever walk in on a conversation, you didn't hear the first part, you only heard the second part, and get your hackles up, right? What did you say? And it, right? Arguments based on half-truths or uneducated opinions, we only make it worse when we get involved. We only escalate the problems. Now, there's something to be said for answering arguments with what God's Word really says. But we do that in love. We're not out to prove ourselves right, my friends. This is the biggest problem, I think, within a church. This is what caused divisions, is the need to be right. God's Word is right, and you're a jerk. Get over it, okay? (laughs) Just let God's Word speak for itself. We don't need to argue about things like that. You're... You're proving me right. Knock it off. (laughs) Paul equates this kind of trouble with gangrene. Some translations say cancer, which does not make any sense at all. And it's an improper translation of the word. Cancer grows. Gangrene does not. It's the other way around. What do we know about gangrene that equates with division in a church over words? It spreads fast. It stinks, and it's deadly. That's what we know about gangrene. That's what we know about arguing over words within the church. 
And Paul's solution for dealing with these word battles is the same as the treatment for gangrene. Exactly the same. What do you do? You cut it off. That's the only way you can fight it. You have to stop it before it's too late. Paul gave a specific example of people who are waging a war of words, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. I don't believe that Paul gives this example in order to uh, talk about the resurrection, but only to use them as an example. He was assuming that Timothy understood properly the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Um, The entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is giving to refute this heresy that the resurrection has already happened. We read that a few weeks ago, so I won't get into it now. Other than to say... Denying the physical resurrection of the body is a perversion of the truth. And it would shake the very foundations of the Christian faith if we say the dead are not raised. I would say that that would upset the faith of some. Because that's to say that we only have hope in this life. And that's it. So finally, in Verse 19, Paul wraps this all up with a wonderful reminder that should be of great encouragement to all those who love the Lord and love His church, regardless of any disagreements people might have. Verse 19, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. God's foundation, what is that? He's talking about the church. The building that God has designed and is building with Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone stands firm no matter the controversy. And as part of that foundation that he is building, we bear his seal like a two-sided coin. On one side to his responsibility... And the other side is ours. The Lord knows those who are his on one side and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity on the other. As Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. We are His. And the divisions that people cause within the church are not from Him. The Lord knows those who are His. No matter the dissensions, no matter the divisions, no matter how polarized a church family might get, He will preserve His church until His glorious appearing. The church will prevail because Its designer and builder is God. This is the encouragement to us. Now, if you are still wondering, what do I mean about divisions and dissensions? I hesitate to give you a lot of personal examples because I don't want to make people look bad. But the truth is, how many churches are in each town? Why are they so many? Now, I get there are, there are groups that kind of, they've, they've, 
they're strawberry ice cream, and the other group is vanilla ice cream, and that's what people like. I get that. But these divisions are more than just the demographic, right? The type of people that are attracted in that group. That's fine. That's all fine. I'm saying people that are split up because, well, um, we think that, uh, um, I don't even know. Do you know why there is a Baptist church and Methodist church and a, and a congregational church and an Avon Christian church? Do you even know what an Avon Christian church is? You're in one, just in case you were wondering, right? It's because it take groups take a little thing, say, we like this little thing. We're going to make it central to us. And if you don't like it, hit the road. The Methodists started with a method of meeting in small groups in people's homes. Right, that's fine. Right, the Baptists believe in a, a certain kind of baptism, right? Immersion baptism, when the church was practicing sprinkling. If you want to sprinkle, you go do your own thing. We're dunking, man. Right? The congregational church, what makes a congregational church different? Right? Because of how they govern. How do we make decisions? We vote. This is the beginning of a congregational church, right? Avon Christian Church, same thing. Why aren't we Baptists? Because we believe in the second advent of Christ. Okay, so that was like 1800s. Everybody's got it now. What's the point of being divided over that? These are little things that become a big deal. And now we don't even know why we're divided. We don't even know what kind of... We're just a fruit salad here. We don't know what kind of fruit we are. We're a bunch. Different stuff. It's so important because even within this, it's groups like this, those divisions started. I like this thing. Well, I like this thing. I think this is more spiritual and yours is less spiritual. I think my thing is more biblical and yours is less biblical. So what? That's not God's design for his body. It's to work together even though you're different. Aren't you glad your pinky and earlobe don't work the same way? <laughs> right? If the, if the, what's it, uh, Paul write? If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of sight be? Both those pictures are grotesque. Right? But it's, the point is still there. We can have different opinions about things, what matters is that we come back to God's Word and say, what does God's Word really say? In its entire, in the context, let's not just pick a small thing out and divide over it. I'm done talking to you. So I would remind you of these things. I charge you before God not to quarrel over words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Let's do our best together, ourselves, to present ourselves to God as ones that are approved. Workers who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. May we all avoid irreverent babble. 
for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and that talk will spread like gangrene and will kill us. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the church's designer and builder. That the church that you had in mind is not based on our opinions or our preferences or even our understanding. But you have laid down your plan for us in your word. Lord, I pray that you would guard us, protect us from word battles that might divide our family. You have given us such a wonderful gift in this church family. May nothing ever come between us. No opinion on doctrine or, or thoughts about practices. But may we continually search your word to handle your word properly and understand it so that we will not stray from it into, into the destruction of personal preferences and opinions. May we only seek your opinion because you are always right. Forgive us, Lord, on those many occasions that we have taken things out of context, that we have been taught the wrong thing and not searched it out in your word ourselves, and so we believe it's true even though your word says it's not, or your word doesn't say anything about it at all, I pray that you would give us wisdom to rightly handle your word, that we would not be lazy and just take what we're given and keep on marching, but to be diligent in rightly handling the word of truth. God, we thank you most of all for your son giving his life for us on the cross to make church even possible, to make salvation and forgiveness, adoption into your family even possible. And again, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, that they would ask for your forgiveness and surrender their life to you, that they might be adopted as your child and be part of the wonderful family called a church. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.